0: as a screenwriter and to create people and to be able to answer as them I do that a lot with my students where they have to go out and uh, find someone out there who could be a supporting actor in their um, supporting character and if they can get to know them if they can even if it's a conversation on a bus, if they've been attracted to that person, the way their woman has bandages on the inside of her stocking or uh, the way she opens her purse and how she counts her change or whatever they notice that has something to do with the character and then follow that person and if possible take them to lunch or talk to them and Be honest about what you're doing. Be willing to tell about your own life to whoever this stranger is. And and then once they found that, then they come into class and I ask them to describe to the class what their meeting was like, what they saw in that person, what they were able to deduce from that person. I even bring a stranger that they hadn't ever seen in, as an artist model would come into a class. And they they look and they're allowed to get out and walk around the person, talk to them, ask to see their hands or shoes or anything they might have with them and, and then sit down and write their life story and describe what they do, what their relationships are, what their main disappointments were. And, and in nine classes out of ten, it's about... on the nose. Just by being able to take, to absorb, not just with your eyes or your ears, but with every cell of yourself, with your imagination. Another person, to receive another person totally. And then to describe meeting this person, and then as they're describing the meeting, to gradually become that person in behavior and attitude. One of them did a housekeeper who'd been in a family for a long time and and we were asking her questions and she said, oh, she began to, she got a sweater and she put the sweater on. She had. I said, "You, why are you holding your arms that way? She said, well, you're asking me things that I don't want to Tell you, and I said well, you can certainly tell me you know what what happened no, she said, I've worked in this family I've gone through three generations of that family, and I don't care what you do. I'm not going to tell you so and this is not an actor, this is a writer going out on this <laughs> assignment coming in, but it went on. I, I was going to do three of them in the evening and or rather there were nine in the class. I was going to do all nine and we got to do three because everyone was so fascinated and knowing about this character. It's like that this person didn't know. <laughs> but what they got made them know. They knew what where the chip in the coffee cup was and how it got that way.
1: Now This school that you're talking about is called the Film School. Yeah. Right. How long has that been around?
0: We started it about a year and a half ago. And um, it was funny. Rick Stevenson, who's a friend of mine and a director, wonderful guy. He and I were going from school to school. We had an idea of what we wanted. A storyteller's place where that was what was taught and um, so we were going around at the University of Washington looking at rooms and everything and then sitting on the same board with him at at Cinema Seattle was somebody else who had been doing the same thing which was Tom Scarrett Mm -hmm. and he had joined up with Warren Etheridge and John Jacobson and they were doing it so we thought well You know, neither of us had found the way yet, so why don't we all get together? So they all came up here and we had, I made sandwiches and we started talking about what we really wanted, what we really wanted. And by the time three or four meetings were over, we all sort of had our assignments of what we wanted to teach. And what I wanted to teach is exactly what we're talking about. And so that's what I do. And John is a wonderful uh guy for structure his father if his father is a great great architect who's all over the cover of architectural digest this this month hmm. with a marvelous house he did and john is he is an architect, but he's more because he's imaginative he's an acting teacher he sat through Uda uh, Hagen's class for at least a whole year to absorb as an auditor, and he's directed one or two films, and but he's very versatile, brilliantly uh, endowed. He's a wonderfully a wonderful thinker, so he does structure and he does. Um, he works with them as a director. He gives them elements of directing and puts them into that position so they get a sense of what that's like. Tom puts them on their feet uh, entirely using scenes that they write and he'll assign one of the students to be a director another to be an actor or two or three actors in the scene that another student has done and he'll Watch them do it and give them suggestions, acting suggestions, editing, structure, subtext, you know, just using student work and students. And it's very stimulating to them. And then Warren is wonderful about character. So he teaches character and uh, he gives them a sense of, of what's out there, of what film really is. And what to look for in film beyond structure and beyond some of the stuff that I do. And uh, so we all pound on them for three weeks from nine in the morning until 10.30 at night, six days a week. Hmm. And uh, there's no room to give assignments because they have no They're time. there the whole time? Yeah.
1: Hmm. That's probably good. Um it sounds really great. Now, this is it in a particular location, this school?
0: No, it's so far migratory, mm-hmm. but it's been wonderful. Um, we had MOHAI for the first session, mm-hmm. Museum of uh, History and Industry, which had a big gal- gallery that Tom could work in, and we had the faculty room for the classes. Then we were down, we split the next one between... Oh no, the next one was in a mansion that was about to be torn down. And uh, Tom knew the family who owned it. It was wonderful. It was like an old uh, Rhode Island summer house mm-hmm. for President Roosevelt or something. <laughs> and so we really took that over. It became our second home. And then the third session was uh, the rehearsal rooms at the Seattle rep and uh, um, uh, the intimon hmm. and we commuted commuted between the two, or the Children's Theater, rather, mm-hmm. Seattle Children's Theater, and this and Seattle rep. And then um, the the next one was really incredible. It was at Seattle Center mm-hmm. in that big. Building that has the food court. Oh, yeah. And we were on the third floor. <clears throat> the only thing nobody thought of was that the fourth floor is all <laughs> rehearsal rooms. So we'd be in the middle of a meditation and suddenly 40 pairs of tap shoes would start <laughs> over <laughs> our head. <clears throat> so it was crazy. We were doing it in the hall, we, wherever we were. We, it, it didn't matter because the atmosphere is so tribal. Mm-hmm. And Rick is is the storyteller. He he has found a way to make a campfire mm-hmm. out of candles, and uh, so his event he does it I think three times during the course of that everything is to have a have this campfire and dinner is served and everyone sits around and they they eat. And then the lights are soft. And uh, then people are asked to tell a story out of their own lives that has real meaning for them. And we've had some changes, some people really going through a change, a permanent change, or at least one that's lasted this long in their lives, and the structure of their personalities by... Confronting something, not intending to, but telling a story, and suddenly they're somewhere where they had been, and and organically experiencing it again. It's it's that process, with remembering the circumstances, and it's what Sandy always said: acting is doing, acting is uh, behaving. What is it? Living truthfully under imaginary circumstances.
1: I'm going to have to wrap it up. We're, we're running out of tape here. Um, but that's a good point to end on, I think. The, one other thing is we do do these things called film bites, which is just a little bit of advice for filmmakers out here. This has been full of all kinds of information that people can use. And also, I think some, uh, uh, it reminded me, of a way of looking at things that I think I had forgotten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, sometimes I get so stuck in the practical, just like, what am I going to do right now to make something happen that I mm-hmm. um, forget where I've come from as far as uh, the theater goes and as far as um, researching characters and and uh, living you know, an experience. But anyway, so my film bite from this talk that we've had is if you're going to go to Maybe I've said this before, but this uh, is, is an important thing. If you're going to go to a film school or you're going to go um, take some training from somewhere, look at the people you want to train with. Find yourself a mentor or find yourself somebody that you've, you appreciate their work or their, their point of view and, and instead of just, oh, I want to find the most prestigious school to go to. Um, and then I invite you to have a film bite.
0: Well, I think that's... Uh... I think what you say is very wise. I mean, I think that one of the things I noticed in Paris when I went to the Picasso Museum was that there were it was chronological, and the first paintings I thought one was by clay, I thought one was by Brock, I thought one was by uh, uh, Monet and and until I got close enough to see that Picasso and The idea of apprenticeship is something that we scoff at. And we talk about trying to find our own voice. And our own voice is made of all the voices that we've contained. And I think one of the most important things that writers can do is to find a writer whom they adore and to read that writer aloud everything that writer has done, to read plays aloud, to use accents, to get a book. There's a wonderful uh, book called, uh, I think it's a manual of foreign dialects and a manual of American dialects, and to, to pick uh, an accent and do, do Hamlet with a German accent, do it with an English accent, do it...
1: Okay, we're back, and uh, what happened was the, well, I thought the tape was going to run out, but instead the battery died. And so we're going to try and pick up where we left off, which is at the film bite section of the show. And um, Stuart, if if you could explain what you were saying, um, which was your film bite, or if you want to make up another one, that's okay too.
0: Well, I think you, you've established one that's very important, which is to be sure you have lead in your pencil and <laughs> ink in your pen and <clears throat> the equipment. Because <laughs> I, um, I, I, for three years, uh, I did research for Paul Newman mm-hmm. to build an archive for him of all the people in his life, interviews with him so that he could write his autobiography. And whether he'll ever sit still long enough to do that, I don't know. But one of the key interviews, one of the most important ones that I had been looking forward to forever and trembling at the thought of was with John Huston. And so finally, his office agreed that I could come and I went to California and checked into a hotel way over in Santa Monica. And he at that time was staying on, I think, on Havenhurst in West Hollywood in a building that had apartments. It was a rented apartment. And he was very, very sick and uh, in his last days. And... um, and also try to cut a picture. I don't, I don't know if it was the dead, what it was that he was doing. But finally, the day had come. And I don't know why. I had lived in Santa Monica, and I, in the days when I lived there, you could get from there into West Hollywood in 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't bank on spending nearly an hour uh. to get to him (laughs) and I didn't have his address, I mean his phone number, I had nothing with me except the address and I was just fainting with embarrassment when I finally got there and I was set up to the apartment and a nurse came to the door and very brisk, I mean it was like having suddenly having an English nanny again. (laughs) She was so displeased at my tardiness. And I heard a machine in the other room. And she went in and came back out and said, he'll be in in a minute. It it takes him a little while to get through the rooms. He's been ready for quite some time. (laughs) So here comes Houston in his pajamas, pushing one of those rolling stands that has all kinds of solutions in it and a thing that uh, that helped him breathe he had an oxygen tank with him he was wearing uh, a mask of some kind and he was on oxygen and couldn't have been more courtly as he always was very expansive Mm -hmm. very nice to have you here do sit down and So I said, before we even begin, I want to ask you a question that Paul asked me to ask you. Paul considers himself an emotional Republican. And he envies Brando and Dean because they had such immediate access to their emotional life. And he felt that he always had to work and work and work in order to get there. Did you think he was an emotional Republican when he worked with you? He said, I would never have the presumption to even comment on such a question. (laughs) He said, it's an impertinence, and I would not credit it by even attempting an answer, if I had one. The human being is far more complex and to attempt to simplify it that way offends me. So that was my first big success. Uh, yeah. So I went on from there and uh, he, was, he was wonderful and using quite a lot of energy to to do this right. Mm-hmm. And then the phone rang and I thought, well, out of courtesy to this man, I'm going to turn the thing off because... I don't want to record his end of a phone conversation. And we'd been talking for half an hour. So I reached to turn it on. I had never turned it on. Oh. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> God. Oh, no. It was the worst moment of my life. And I didn't dare tell him then. Yeah. I turned the tape or snuck another tape in that was also side <laughs> A. And... Turned it on, Uh, but he had lost his drive. He said, Uh "Well, I can. Is there anything else? You you know." Uh He had shot his wad. Uh So I called Paul that night, and he said, "How? Well, you sound a little anxious." I said, "I'm anxious." (laughs) He said, "Well, how anxious? How's your pulse?" I said, "It's, "It's high." He said, well, run around the kitchen a little bit and come back and let me know how it is. I think I actually did. I said, it's higher. He said, well, wait till it really hits the top, and then you'll be approximating where I would like you to be, but not nearly there. He said, put it back into the oven and don't take it out until it's
1: burning. Oh, my gosh. You fool, he said. And then he
0: just laughed. He said, Well, what the hell? It's only it's only Houston. (laughs) So uh, anyway, I went back and I wrote him a letter of apology and said, I I would never ask you to go through this again, but I feel so badly. I just don't And he wrote me a letter and said, You know, the, the best people that I've worked with have never had a machine. And he mentioned particularly the woman who had Cut him to ribbons in the New Yorker when he was doing, the uh, Red Badge of Courage. Lillian, Lillian Ross, I think her name, and uh, and I really felt demeaned when he held her up as a paragon. Mm-hmm. But he said that if I'm, if you're really a writer, you will remember our conversation. So I sat down. And my inner ear began to <laughs> imitate him imitating John Barrymore, which he had done once at the Writers Guild. And then I began. And I wrote wrote the interview. Wow. And I sent it to him and asked if if that was close enough. And he sent word back that, yes, it was... Very good.
1: Wow, so that would, that's great. That would, oh. I know, that's my worst nightmare too. So I'm always looking at this uh, device to make sure that it's actually running. Because I did do an entire interview oh. one time and didn't tape it. But luckily it was like the second show and, and um, the guest was my girlfriend, so it was okay. <laughs> we just did it again. But, um,
0: yeah. I think that... Um, I think it's important to have an idol, a writer, a playwright, one or more, and to study them, study their words, study, study their sounds, study their uh, figures of speech, study their style. And it can be a screenwriter, although I think maybe a screenwriter with a playwriting background would be better. mm
1: mm-hmm
0: and uh and do do them in every accent, but always read aloud before they go to sleep. Read something aloud because just as dancers have to incorporate muscle memory, writers can't write great words unless they say great
1: words that's That's really a point well taken. I know one of the when I did a short film that I wrote, um, I got together with the other actor Miguel Sandoval who's a seasoned professional and we read this thing aloud, and I had never read it aloud. Yeah. And so in, once we started reading, it was all of a sudden we were like, oh, that doesn't work, oh, let's change that. We just right. went through the thing, and it was so eye-opening to me. And it just seemed so dumb that I hadn't read it aloud before. Yeah. Um, and also, I, one thing that I find really useful as an actor is I go and read to kids in the local elementary school twice a week. And just reading aloud yeah. has made my acting better has made a lot of things about my life better, besides the fact that kids are just great. Being in touch with kids is great. It also just the act of reading aloud is very useful.
0: I think if they read Horton Foote, you know, he's, he's so American, mm-hmm. so colloquial, and so poetic and real, and if they read tender mercies aloud and a trip to bountiful and a number of other things that he's written mm-hmm. including the the screenplay for oh, the the uh,
1: well i'm 84 i kill a it's amazing to kill okay. a <laughs> it's going to say your ability to recall names and and things is amazing astounding um
0: but that would be a useful thing i think uh-huh. another thing is the the company the constant company of writers they admire or could admire or would like to help be admirable and and to that end a writers group if it's four people if it's seven people if it's 20 people that meets regularly where you can work From timed writing, where you have a timer and where somebody, and you just throw start lines into a hat. I was falling. I shrank from the. When I think of love comes best when, whatever it is, and throw those into a hat, go around the table, everybody. One person picks one out of the hat, reads it aloud. This is the start line. Sets the timer for five minutes. Everybody writes as fast as they can without thinking because it's not a function of the reasonable mind. And let it take you wherever it takes you. Five minutes, stop, you stop. You read what you wrote aloud around the table. Nobody pays any heed to it. No one says anything. Then you go to a 10-minute one. Then you go to a 20-minute one. And then people, as they're beginning to work on specific projects, can relate these time writings to what they're doing. So for at least that time, their critics are gone, their judges are gone, their making an impression on somebody is gone. But the, the secret is to keep your pen moving and not to think and if you say i can't i but I can't even think of a word 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 word, 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 perfect, word perfect, be word, perfect, she told me that she told me that, and I tried and 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 she flunked me on that grammar thing and and Susan was behind me, and she was you know, and it takes you you don't know where, but somewhere authentic and you can apply it to, you know, we, we meet down here sometimes at Louise's coffee shop, and there are table after table of writers and all doing this and really? all writing different things. And I think that, especially when you're on an assignment or or in a rigid situation or where you're you're in your head, which is the last place to be, mm-hmm. except at certain times, if you have to go through a script that came out of you volcanically, and that where you weren't thinking about structure except those things that Aristotle put in us, and that any village storyteller knows as well as Aristotle did—that you have to keep it getting more and more unknown and more and more risk-taking, and you have to keep your own attention, must let much less than audiences, and so. And trust in that and know that at some point the hero is going to have to discover something that's going to change his life and let him move in a different direction. And that that sometimes or usually comes about the time of the climax where they are faced with the thing that they have tried to resist facing all their lives. And sometimes it presents itself as a physical thing like a mountain to climb for, for, for someone who's afraid of climbing a ladder. But whatever it is, it's the place where the psychological problem and the, the physical problem conjoin. And there's a climax and a resolution. But all this business about page 30, it may be true, it may work out that way, but it sure as hell isn't the aim any more than the salary is. Because when you write because you think you're going to write a sec a success that's going to make a lot of money, you're you're wrong. You can't do it. You won't. Because what you're going to be imitating is something which already has had 10 imitators. It's in the cans. It's being previewed. It's old hat by the time you think of imitating it. So it's got to be personal. It's. It has to have... That's another thing is that the rostrum that we get, the biggest rostrum in the world, What does that mean? To the the place where the preacher stands and preaches. Mm -hmm. That is ours. When we write a movie, that movie has the possibility to heal many people who come into that theater or to entertain them outrageously or to make them think about something they wouldn't ever thought about. Or to give them a sense of themselves, their own capacity, that is the biggest gift you can give to an audience to make people in the audience feel that maybe they could do that too and leave the theater different. And But that chance, with things as, as expensive as they are, comes so rarely that you have to have something to say that means something to you. It may be your only chance to say it. So you better have it. You better know what it'll be. And it's not going to be what you can crib off the next hill of someone writing a success or imitate something. It has to come out of you. You are your best story. And each person is a miracle. Their experience is so unique, but so, if it's specific... It's so contagious because we can just show us... I read a a line in a student script last week. I was doing a tutorial and there was one line in that whole script that was just gorgeous. And all it said was that the grandmother sweeps... sweeps her grandchild's something to do with food. They were making sandwiches. But the the verb sweeps it off the table was a grandma word. That she's that familiar with that furniture, that her hand has done that so often, that she has been a grandmother. With a, a child who is fiddling around with things on a table, whether it's trying to make a cake, trying to, but that grandmother thing of sweeping, it, she swept crumbs off, she swept. So there was such life, and I'm I'm not quoting the sentence mm-hmm. as well as it was written, but there was such life in that, and it came alive because it was so so specific,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and. But to write generally, and that's what's wrong with, uh, I think, with the movie industry. I don't think there is one. I think there are two. There's a a filmmaking uh, industry. I don't like to say industry for that. And there's a movie industry. And the movie industry is, like most of society now, generic. So the more generic you are, in your characters it's like putting another Starbucks in Paris Mm -hmm. you get to people and they're willing to pay but they're not going to have an experience Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: they'll have one if they go to one of their their own corner uh, uh, crepe makers Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you chomp on a, a, a perfect crepe that only that man can make Because that's the life he had and, and his hands are dirty in a different way. And that dirt makes that crate have its personality. So that's the same thing with screenplays or with writing at all. But I think you need to have an idol and people can say, oh, you write like Tennessee Williams." great thank you (laughs) just keep writing like you won't do it wrong. you won't do it forever
1: I think it also comes back to the same thing that we were talking about with the acting when somebody describes the situation in complete detail and I've watched people do this where they describe something that happened to them in complete detail and all of a sudden they'll say something like the 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 chair was blue and it just will hit them all of a sudden, this emotion or whatever happened to them at that time, they'll suddenly be there. Yeah. And it might be the most mundane sounding thing, but to them, all of a sudden, they've gotten specific and all of a sudden, they've had an experience. And I I think think you
0: said, you know, right now, in those two words, you said as important a thing as you can ever say about writing is be there. Be there. Exist. There, in the world of what you're
1: writing. All right, I'm going to leave it at that. That's going to be the end of the show. And thank you so much, Stuart, for spending time today. Thank you. This was really um, inspiring. Well, um, it was for me being with you. Oh, great. That's great to hear. You're Thanks. You're this
0: is wonderful what you're doing.
1: Thank you. Um, if you have any questions for me or for Stuart, um, you can email me at joel at fatfreefilm.com. And, yes? Can I give them
0: the address of the
1: film school? Or Absolutely. Please do. Please do.
0: To, to find out more about the film school, they have a web address. Is that what you call it? Right. It's www.thefilmschool.com. And the film school is one word.
1: Right. Thefilmschool.com. I invite you to go check that out. I think they've got a really good thing going there, and you'll also be able to see um, information about it and how you can apply for the school. Um, And thank you for joining us, and I will see you next week on Fat-Free Film.